Ladies and gentlemen. Meet you. Hey. We're back. We are back. Fubar. It's been uh, been a few weeks for me. I've been uh, out of town without my car, but we're back. Yeah, we are back, and we have some awesome guests tonight. Mm. Um, For this next Fubar, I was kind of... uh, I wouldn't say I had a flashback with it, but I was definitely remembering my time when I was on uh, Al-Asside Air Base. Um, this was with HMH-465, a helicopter squadron. And every now and then we'd have uh, IDF drills and direct fire. Uh, most of the time they were just that. They were drills. We, we never expected anything out of it. Uh, I remember there was a big stink like the first three months of the deployment. We were like, we don't have to wear flak jackets and take our rifles to work on the helicopter for Christ's sake. Um, like there's there's numerous levels of of safety around this base like if we're if we're expecting helicopter mechanics to hold al-assad we're in the shit already um but but nonetheless right but nonetheless we would still have these drills and everybody would take them you know mildly serious um until one day it was a an actual serious attack uh they didn't come close uh to any any support structures but it did it did hit near the base near us uh, and it was kind of interesting because I just remember everybody would dive into the berms or go into these weird, uh, like, pyramid bunkers that were kind of strewn around Al-Assad. Uh, later on, some of our guys actually went deeper into them and, and found some artifacts, the lucky oh, lucky cool. fuckers. Um, <laughs> and they didn't declare them. They just, you know, went home with a little souvenir, which, you know, good for them, right on. Stuffed in the flag jacket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was remembering it because recently, if you were following the news, uh, we did have a breach on one of our bases. Um, so this, this FUBAR is kind of for those that are still out there, still forward. Take those drills seriously. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine what it was like on that base, thinking, hey, everything's chill. We're going to the DFAC. We're going to get chow, whatever it is. Uh, and then you keep hearing announcements. No, take cover. No, go into the center. No, they're, they're inside. So for, yeah. for anybody that's out there forward deployed, I don't want to be your sergeant annoying you, but take it serious it's it can happen it's it's unfortunate but you need to uh, mind your procedures and, and be able to be effective uh, in moments of harm um, luckily the friend of mine that is on that air base uh, or that base that recently got attacked he's fine he uh, he was actually able to fly out a few days after he was a contractor so he was just like mm, f this i'm gone um but yeah to those that are still forward deployed mind your training indeed so uh, here's to bad pot shot IDFs. <laughs> what year were you over in uh, Al-Assad? Uh, I was in Al-Assad, I'd say 2006, 2007, I want to okay. say. It was before, it was during the time where the second chow hall burned down. Okay. Well, <laughs> I was out in the Al-Ambar province in uh, okay. 2004. Okay, because yeah, I was, was a little bit after you were a performer. Gotcha. And Al-Assad, that's the Air Force base, right? Uh, it is. It's yeah. it's like a joint force base now. I know that there's Air Force and Marine Corps assets on there. They had uh, C-130s across the, the runway from us. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's all that was there. I don't, I don't think there was Army personnel there. There might have been. I think later on when I was there, 2010, 2011, there were. It was a small element, but for the most part it was it was Air Force. And I just remember I, I went to that base and uh, – this is amazing. I, they had this huge defect with like <laughs> real silverware. They had a band playing. Mid rats. They had like yep, mid rats. They had like a steak, uh, steak and lobster night. I'm like, where am I? Om- omelet buffet in the morning. I mornings. gotta tell you guys though, like where I was at, like out in like Huseba and like Ubaidi and all those other areas, like right on the Syrian border. Every time we got steak and lobster and near beer, you can't forget the three horses near beer. Mm. It was bad news. <laughs> Like it was like an omen that something was gonna it happen. Was. So there came a point where like, like we had like tea rat lasagna like almost nonstop for like like nine months, get our hot dogs. Like, <laughs> and uh, so they finally came out with like steak and lobster. And anytime you need, if you see like, steak and lobsters on the menu tonight, boys, and you're like, God no. <laughs> like you just you just knew you just knew the green Grade F was coming, like no lube, just straight up. And you're like, oh, here we go. That's why they fed us. That's why they fed us good. So that was uh, that was kind of my food bar story um, for our guests. I feel like that was a lead-in into yours, talking about what you guys would get fed before the, the shit would hit the fan. <laughs> That's it. Well, I guess, you know, I was going to start with one story, but um, I guess I could talk a little bit about the Battle of Huseba. It was on April 14th or 18th, April 15th. 
of uh, and and sorry to interrupt by the way you don't have to say who you are but if you want to give right. reference to your unit or, or any of those all right so I was third uh, battalion seventh Marines uh, weapons company I was with uh, cat blue and uh, basically what happened in, in a nutshell right is on the Syrian border you have a small town called Huseba. It's about a mile square. It actually looks like a square. And uh, they had literally moved in 300 insurgents into the town with the sole purpose of breaking the back of the Marine Corps. And uh, there was no borders, you know, basically at that time. I mean, it's not kind of like a lot of areas here in the United States where, you know, they talk about a border, but there's nothing there. Right. So you can just walk across. And what they would do, because our ROEs at the time, is that we couldn't search medical vehicles and we couldn't search mosques because like, you know, religious stuff, mm-hmm. they would just shuffle people into there. So over the course of, you know, a couple months, you know, things had started to ramp up. There was a lot of IED stuff and a lot of other stuff that had already been happening. But I remember uh, my element of Cat Blue was out in patrol out in uh, in Ubaidi, and we knew that things were starting to heat up out there from like a couple of attacks that had happened like the day previous. And I'd already been up for about 24 hours. Uh, I was a driver of my vehicle, and we were like, I was like the lead vehicle in my uh in my section and so we got the call hey we needed to react and so we left from Ubaidi and then like drove out to Huseba and by the time we got to Huseba like it was that quintessential like what you picture in your mind is looking like a war zone mm. I mean shit's on fire like Humvees are like stuck in the road tires are blown out on fire like the windows are shot out so they gave like an all hands call to every bad actor like across like the Middle East. <laughs> they're like dudes from the Sudan, and, like Africa, like everywhere else, right? All points. Just coming in, they're like, hey, yeah, you guys want to fight the Marines? Here we Come go. Come here. So, um, like, I remember driving past this one Humvee, and there's like, luckily there were upper armors, um, but there was a bullet hole right in the driver's side window, like right where the person's face would have been. There was one in the passenger side. And then uh, apparently, my buddy Brown, and so this is secondhand, but. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was Frosty that was up in the turret. He got shot in the face and like hit him in the cheek and came out like a millimeter from his spine. And so he hits the deck inside, and uh, one of the other guys like sticks his finger in his face because he didn't have any way to stop the bleeding, right? And so Frosty's like, "Get your fucking finger out of my face! <laughs> <laughs> You're freaking nasty!" Yeah. So uh, that had happened a little bit before we got there, and so by the time we got there, uh, we had to put security on the soccer field, which was like the Kazi back point. I mean, Blackhawks are like fucking taking off like straight up. Um, we get there, like kind of holding security for a minute, and then uh, there was like a effed up mosque that was like right around the corner, and then there was a school, and like my lieutenant was like, hey, I need you and your buddy to go clear this entire school and then wait for ODA. I'm like, wait a minute, wait. So I got to wait for, like, ODA, and you just want a couple of us to go clear this entire school. Like, that, I just want to make sure I'm understanding (laughs) you, right? So me and my buddy, like, we go through this entire school, and they talk about, like, hair on the back of your neck, right? right? You're just like, oh, God, like, please don't be a lot of assholes in here right now because there's so many rooms, so many doorways, so many, just everything. And you're like, I'm going to die. Fuck, 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 fuck. You know? <laughs> room, room after room after yeah. room. Yeah. So we get through, right? Like, we make, we make it up to the roof, and they want us to set up, like, a sniper overwatch. And mind you, I have this seared image in my head of this burning Humvee, and I'm like, okay, there's got to be snipers around right now. You know, like, I can't concentrate on that. So I'm looking for a way to get my buddy up to, like, the highest point. And I find like this piece of, uh, you know, like cable for the cable TVs, right? Mm-hmm. So I make a lasso out of it and I throw it over this antenna. And luckily he's all of like 150 pounds with all of his gear on. <laughs> so like I kind of heave him and he kind of crawls up and he gets up there and we kind of set overwatch and we wait. And then finally, you know, the Jedi Knights show up. We DD Mao out of there, get back. And then I end up holding security on this corner. And I think in the span of like five days, I think I maybe got two and a half hours of sleep. And so at one point, we went down to 25%. It was like the first time I had a chance to like rack out. And um, I just remember like, it was like right before dawn. And then I remember waking up at dawn and I went outside because I had to take a pee in like the rubble pile, right? Because I was like, I mean, I gotta go. Like, I don't even care anymore. And uh, we go out there and there's like an RPG round that somebody had fired that is literally about 10 feet from my door. So somebody in the course of the night fired an RPG round that had my name on it. And I just remember looking at that, and I'm like, well, 
Check that box. <laughs> <laughs> Did wow. you pee on it afterwards? Like, I, had, I had to. I had to. Uh, <laughs> like, right I would have snow, right? <laughs> so it's like, will the piss set it off? I don't care. Right at this point, I don't care anymore. Yeah. So then, like, still sitting there, I get back in the vehicle. You know, we're holding the security. This little three. You guys remember the little three-wheeled carts? They had, you know, like wheelbarrows or, kind of, or like the, no, push, like the, the little bicycles. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. They had little dingle balls on them and the bells, and they're, like, super decorated out. So, that was a good sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> right, you know, it's pegged out. So this, this one, like, comes rolling up, right? And, like, this family gets out, and they pull this dude out. And it's, like, this dude is completely fucked up. <laughs> like, his arm is, like, hanging out of the socket. Like, his face is all just beat to shit. And uh, so, like, oh, shit, what happened to him? They don't tell us anything, right? And uh, so we grab him, throw him in the back of the high back take him over to the Kazakh point to go get checked out by Doc and as I'm like pulling him out and like walking him over to go get checked out I end up handing him over he starts flipping the fuck out right like just losing his fucking mind like no Mr. No I end up handing him over to the dude who tuned him up I know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh shit. <laughs> like, right over, like, hey, I recognize you. Oh, no. So, uh, you know, and, and this kind of came about as a result, right? Like, so <clears throat> there was a couple of guys that got ambushed. And you can Google this whole event, like, if you want. Like, just Google Battle Huseba. Um, but, yeah, some guys tried to, you know, go into a courtyard, and they got killed. Um, and then, basically, you know, at that point, like, all the line companies just started, like, block by block, house by house, door by door. And, uh, yeah, so this dude kind of turned out, you know, he had a weapon. And uh, I was like, well, bro, <laughs> you kind of got lucky. Like, that's the least of your worries right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Somebody so, turned you over, at least. You're not dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not uh-huh. dead. Uh, but I just remember, so, like, finally, right, like, five days go by, like, we get cleared to go into uh, into the base in Huseba. And I remember I was like, God, I got a shit so bad. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, like I finally like, pull my my flak off, set my rifle down, drop my Kevlar, deep breath, take a deep breath, right? Like you know, five o'clock shadow. I haven't slept. Like I got a full beard, and like I just plop down on the port of shitter, and like as soon as fucking soon as the cheeks hit the seat, right? Like a 107 rocket just starts firing, like just screaming over my head. And I remember like reaching for my flak, and I was like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> if I die, this is the story. This is the hill that I die on today. Like, this will be the letter home. Like, excuse me, ma'am, sir. Like, your son served honorably and died on a poor shitter. After five days of an attack. I was like, I don't even care right now. It. Mm. So, yeah, that, I think that, that's probably the, that'll be the conclusion of where I'll end that particular food bar story. Right on. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Wow. Cheers. And, Cheers. And, uh, I just have to uh, just have to say that's Ruben, the canteen manager, and myself. That was always our our worst nightmare. <laughs> we always were like, no, fuck that. Not in a Porta John. <laughs> no, that's that's why neither one of us spent more than thirty seconds in a Porta John because we were not going out like that. Wow. You know. Yeah. Now right. for this uh, for this next foo bar, uh, this is going in a little different direction. Um, I think we should just start it with day one. Okay. Um, so I'm clearly sitting in a room with people who are well more trained in combat than myself. Um, but uh, I had to learn really quick. Um, on day one of four, um, I don't know where to start this. There's just so many details. Um, on the first day of this four-day ordeal, um, I, I had to learn to count. Um, I was, I really don't know, I really don't even know where to begin on this story, so, actually. So let's, let's begin <clears throat> with, where were you? Okay. What were you doing? Um, I was in San Diego. Uh, I was at home. It was about 11, no, earlier than maybe nine o'clock at night or so. Um, and I don't want to give away too many details here. Is this a decent part of San Diego or is this a? Million dollar condo downtown San Diego. Wow. Um, and uh, at least where the incident happened. I was, let's say, lured somewhere 
under false pretenses. Uh, I was working for someone um, and uh, his son uh, lured me to his place under false pretenses regarding this work that I was doing for his dad. And uh, when I arrived, I found out pretty quickly that it wasn't what I thought it, I was there for. Um, and about a couple hours after me attempt, you know, trying to talk my way out and get out the door, mm-hmm. um, I was attacked. Um, he grabbed me by the throat, um, lifted me off the floor. Um, I'm five foot nine at the time, probably 140 pounds or so. I run triathlons, like not a small person. Um, and so to be like lifted off the ground and you know, dangling my toes. Um, I was slammed into the sofa. Um, and I remember looking up and just watching rage in this person's face and, and everything just started going tunnel vision. Um, and I think right about before I lost consciousness, um, he let go, lifted me up, pulled me off the sofa, threw me across the room, uh, and then came and hit me on the back three times, open hand, um, and then stopped. And it was like this sort of eerie calm. Um, wow. He walked away, but would come back and just kind of like circle my perimeter. I got up, I got to my feet as soon as I could. Um, and then there was another, maybe I would say about an hour of negotiating, trying to talk him down, trying to trying to feel him out um, from from an emotional and, and like psychological standpoint and trying to kind of figure things out. Um, the layout of this place uh, is a little hard to describe, um, but the front door is down a hall, like a good 15, 20 feet at least from okay. this sort of main area. And um, over by the front door, there's a, a, a restroom. And at one point, um, I was able to sort of manipulate his psyche enough to gain a little bit of sympathy. And he had, like, toned down his, his attack. He, it was very Jekyll and Hyde, right? Um, and I got his attention enough to, like, go into um, the bathroom by the door. And I don't think he knew what was going to happen and what he what his plan was at the time. And then... Um, so I was able to get into the bathroom. Um, there's, there's a kitten involved in this whole story too, which is ridiculous in the in the grand scheme of things, and I'll explain why. But, um, but at one point I knew there was a kitten in the house, and I was like, okay, where is she? Why am I not able to like find her? What like usually any time I was there, she was like attached to me. She would come running, and I was like, okay, where's the kitten? Where's the kitten? And he's like, don't worry about her. And I'm like, oh, God, what do you do to this cat, right? So then my entire focus was on, you're not leaving without that cat. I'm a dog person, too, by the way. Like, I've never had cats before. I have 130-pound dogs. Like, that's my, like, so, like, this tiny little two-and-a-half-pound kitten was, like, my entire focus. And I'm like, where's this cat? Where's this cat? Where's this cat? Finally, I convinced him to go and get me the kitten. And that cat saved my life, man. So, um, yeah, it's... So, so he brings me the cat, and I've, I've got her, and I'm like, okay, I'm not leaving without her. And I tell him that I'm not leaving without this cat. And he's like, fine. He's like, the cat can go with you. But I can't go. <laughs> That's the caveat to all yeah. this, right? So um, he, he forces me back down into, like, by the living room and kitchen, like, back into, into the condo. And um, there's more negotiating going on. He's drinking. Um, he's, at this point, like, in incredibly drunk, incredibly enraged, and I managed to convince him that I had to use the bathroom. And I went back down the hall to the bathroom, and I had the cat, like, holding the cat with one arm, and I'm like, all right, I've got, like, one chance to get out. And at this point, it's it's about midnight. And I go, and I flush the toilet, and I turn the faucet on real quick, because I know he can hear that, because he tells me, leave the door open. And he's in the kitchen doing something. And... I flush the toilet, turn the faucet on, and I run around the corner to run to the front door. I get out the front door and another 30 feet to the elevators. And I hit the button on the elevators, like pounding the button on the elevator. 
and I hear the door open and he comes running out and he's got a knife and he drags me back in um that moment like he dragged me back into the living room he started just pounding on me like both hands um he hit me 156 times the first day ripped the cat out of my arms threw her i have no idea where she went and hid um he was beating me was punching me hitting me uh eventually at some point he hurt himself and switched to a bamboo rod that he found that had a nice little burr on it um yeah and i just remember like you know after the first couple hits like i just you just go like i don't know people call it fight or flight it it was neither like i wasn't fighting back i knew that he was just way more powerful than me um and i just got like super super calm and i just kept counting like every single hit and just remembering like all right like can i take another one can i can i handle another one i was like okay yeah 156 didn't kill me what the hell's another one um he slammed my head into like the window and then um ultimately into like a stone fireplace that is probably when i lost consciousness um i was in and out a little bit um then he got tired for a little while and i was already pretty like beaten pretty badly um, I think this is about when he also realized that he maybe wasn't planning to do that and didn't know what the hell to do. Mm. Um, this went on for three days of these moments of calm and like he needed rest from like beating me. Um, he would like everything he was doing was it was all about belittling me making sure that like you know was keeping me down um on the i think i would say second day i don't know really total number of hours you know it kind of all blends together um he raped me twice um he forced me to record like all these videos and things. So he was starting to manipulate this process of like, okay, how am I gonna get out of this? So he started to generate false evidence to the account to account all of these things. Um, yeah. yeah. At one point I was able to get a break away enough that I got into um, the the master bedroom area and I locked the door behind me. And I went into the bathroom in there and I found a box that had like some random tools and stuff in there. And I went to this window, the window in the master bedroom is like a casement window. So when you open it up, I mean, it's a hundred feet in the air, you know? And when you open the window, it only opens about four inches or so. So I was like, okay, I found this wrench and I work construction manager and architect and, and all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, I get this. I know how this stuff works. So I break the latch on the bottom of the window and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to push this window open. Well, at this point, he had beaten the bottom of my feet so badly, I couldn't stand. I couldn't get it. I couldn't run away. There was no way I was going to run away. Um, and I could barely stand. And, I'm, you know, it took me a while to, like, break that latch. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's, you know, pounding on the door. He's going to break this door down. There's nothing I can barricade the door with. There's just nothing I can move to try and barricade the door. And eventually, like, there's this calm. He, like, gives up on the door. And then that freaked me out because I was like, oh, God, what's it's the calm before the storm, right? Yeah. So then I stop what I'm doing, and I'm going, and I'm, like, trying to, like, look under the crack of the door to see if I could see where he's going. And I realized that he's now barricading the front door to the apartment. Like, he's bringing chairs. He's booby-trapping things. He's, like, laying out everything that, like, makes noise. And I can just barely see under the, like, you know, half-inch crack underneath the door. And I'm, I'm watching, like, random things, you know, happening. So I'm like, okay, I, like – if he's barricading, like I'm trying to think through like what his thought process is. I'm like, if he's barricading, then he's not coming after me. I realized he was going to take an opportunity to get rest, to go to sleep because he had been up now. Yeah. And so have I for at least 48 hours at this point straight with this massive physical struggle in between and all this stuff. Um, so I'm trying to reach, I can't reach the latch at the top of the window. I'm like trying, 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 trying. I finally break it. it. Turns out the kitten was hiding under the bed the whole time, so she's in there with me. 
um, he had had me strip naked, so I go into his closet in there, and I put his clothes on, and I found this roll of electrical tape, and I was like, okay, here's the plan. And I found this, like, nylon strap, too. And I was like, all right, I'm going to bust this window open. I put his clothes on. I put the kitten down my shirt, and I wrap the electrical tape around, like, the bottom of the sweater so she can't, like, fall out, right? Yeah. And I have this plan that I am going to bust this window open and shimmy across this, like, 12-inch deep ledge to the neighbor's balcony. This is, like, what I think is going to, like, this is my reality at this yeah. point. That's my out. And I'm like, okay, when I get get there, if the neighbor's not home, I'm just going to sit on her balcony until she gets home. And I'm like, crap, that's not going to work because if I can get out the window and get over there, so can he. And then I'm on a balcony 100 feet in the air, and there's only one way down. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, that's not going to work. So I take the cat out of my sweater, talk myself out of that plane because that's just dumb. And after the fact, I realized that there's a fire sprinkler head on that balcony and I could have hit that and called the fire department, right? So I'm like, okay, bank that information. Um, at one point, I hear him sleeping. I call for help down below to the train station um, and that woke him up. He heard me screaming for help. Sure. And I saw a couple down at the train station. They heard me cry for help. I watched them looking around, but you know, it's an, in a high rise in downtown, it's just, echoing throughout they can't find right. me they they can't you know pinpoint the one window in a you know high rise and at this point he jimmies the lock opens the door grabs me by my hair and drags me out and starts all over again beating me beating the bottom of my feet he has a knife at this point he's threatening to cut off my nipples like he's just stripped me naked just all the rage you know yeah. taking out on me and um, he, that goes on for, again, a guess of hours. I, I know, like, based on, like, the sun going down or listening, for, like, knowing what time it was in the morning because I would hear the train to start come by and it usually starts at, like, you know, five or so in the morning. Like, that was my only gauge of what actual time it was. Right. Um, and so, again, he gets to a point where he's exhausted and he drags me back into his bedroom and he tells me to sit down and shut up and don't wake him up. But everything's barricaded and booby-trapped and all this stuff. So I watch him, I'm staring at him. He falls asleep again. And I'm like, okay, this is my chance. And I had the electrical tape that I had hidden from before and I still had that nylon strap and the kitten. <laughs> don't forget the kitten. <laughs> and I get myself like, kind of hobble myself to the bathroom door. And I know that the bathroom door like sticks. So when you close it, it, it makes this like, I don't even know how to describe it. This just like grinding thud, right? Like an unmistakable noise that I knew it was gonna wake him up. So I'm like, okay, I have this electrical tape and I know that he can, he knows how to jimmy the lock. So I have to like combat that. So I got this plan, get the cat into the bathroom. I put the cat into the shower. Like I didn't turn the shower on, but I put her in there so she was like contained and couldn't get out right and I, t I convince myself that I can take the electrical tape and I can slam the door shut wrap the electrical tape around the lock so it's like this little paddle lock so it would buy me enough time that even if he jimmied the lock it, he wasn't going to be able to just manually turn it it was going to okay. take him to fit so I'm like okay I'm going to lock I'm going to take this electrical tape I'm going to wrap it around the lock I've got the nylon strap and I've wrapped it around underneath the plumbing and and looped it around the handle of the doorknob. And my whole plan was slam the door shut, hop onto the counter, hit the fire sprinkler head, jump down, hold the nylon strap, and just hang on for dear life with the water pouring down on me and just hope that the firemen come and rescue me. Yeah. And I had this sort of, I don't know what you'll call it, like existential crisis or something at the moment. And it took me probably 20 or 30 minutes. And I sat there and I'm like, this is a good plan execute the plan like and I I started arguing with myself like why do you always do this like why do you have this problem you have these great plans like why do you have this problem executing your plans and I literally had this like moment of like a Tony Robbins like you know self-help moment of like <laughs> trying to convince myself like this is a good plan why aren't you executing this plan and mind fucking yourself I was totally mind fucking myself and I was like okay 
it's a good plan. You've got this. You're going to do this. You've got this. And I was calculating it down to the second of like, okay, one, two, three, wraps around the doorknob, like four, five, you're going to do this. Like I literally was calculating the amount of time and I knew that he was drunk. He'd been sleeping. He'd been on cocaine. Like I knew like trying to calculate his disorientation in it all of me like slamming the door shut. And if I didn't get that tape wrapped around quick enough by the time he like all of these things. Um, uh, have you ever seen this movie called Stranger Than Fiction? It's it's an older movie. It's got I think it's Will Ferrell, but it's basically the the opening credits of that movie is um, this guy's like walking across and he he's like he's got obsessive compulsive disorder, so he like calculates everything and counts everything. And the opening credits of this movie is you know you're watching this scene, but in uh, like on the screen they're diagramming and counting everything, and like that's yeah. literally what was happening. Like this like over analysis down to just every possible detail, like trying to give myself this sense of like certainty and a sense of security that this plan is going to work. Like you're gonna get out of here, this is it. And I finally muster up the courage and finally like get myself onto like my feet-ish, kind of hobbling. And I get to the bathroom door and I'm like, okay, you're gonna prepare. And I rip off a couple pieces of tape and I tape them to like my fingers so I'm ready to go. And I had the nylon strap like all where it needed to be. The kitten's in the shower. And I had the doorknob in my hand. Like I'm, I'm feeling it right now. Like I remember yeah. the anxiety and the, like this just adrenaline. And I had the doorknob and I went to go pull the door shut. And as soon as I grabbed the doorknob, he woke up and he goes, what are you doing? And I just went ice cold. And I stuck my head out from like the little crack in the door that was left. And I'm like, I had to use the restroom. He's like, get out here. And I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And he's like, show me your hands. I've got tape all over my hands. Like, like I'm, I knew this was it. Like, this is it, I'm done. And I quickly, like, peel the tape off my hands and, like, crumple it in a ball and just throw it. And I'm like, if he finds it later, he finds it later. Whatever, you know? Um, and, I, and, I, and I come out, and he's like, where's the cat? How do you explain that you put a cat in the shower? Like, you don't. And he was really disoriented, and he starting to kind of doze in and out again and everything. And I was like, okay, I just need to, like, come comply and just be and be calm. And he didn't go back to sleep, but he was, he was calm for a while. Um, and at some point he got up, um, he told me to lay down and go to sleep. I ended up falling asleep. I had been up for over 72 hours at this point with no food, yeah. you know, no water, physically just beaten to a bloody pulp. And I had fallen asleep. I, I fell asleep. The kitten was with me. She wouldn't leave my side. Um, and it had to be about, I would say probably before sunrise on the fourth day. Um, and I just remember like startling awake to this crashing sound and he was busting into the bedroom and he jumped up on the bed, grabbed me by my hair and just dragged me out of one bedroom into another, which was strategic on his part because it was the one room in the house that didn't share a common wall with any of the neighbors. Um, one of the things throughout this whole thing too is uh, while he was hitting me, anytime that I screamed or made a noise, he would just hit me again. He would tell me, you wanna make noise? And he would just keep beating the bottom of my feet. So learning to like suppress every instinct you have, which is to just let out, not just, like under attack, but just pain. I mean, we've all done things like stubbed our toe or hit our funny bone in just the wrong way, and you just want to like, you know, like the worst profanities come out yeah. of your mouth, right? Fuck. Like, fuck! Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not even a peep, like not even a peep could come out of my mouth. And um, actually, let me, let me back up right before that whole thing. So this entire ordeal started two days before my birthday. So I spent my birthday in the middle of this. And um, when he had told me to like lay down and go to sleep, he wanted to, clearly he wanted to rest and he only felt secure if I was 
also sleeping where he could control that. And shortly before that, he brought me my phone, which he had hacked into, and was playing me voicemails from everyone who was calling me and leaving me happy birthday messages. And I remember um, my stepdad had left me a message and called me, and um, that broke me. That absolutely broke me. Like, that was the one moment that I actually, that actually brought me to tears. And he played with that moment. He, that was what he was looking for, was that weakness in me. And I, like, feeling that and knowing everyone else is around, I'm like, they're calling me on my birthday, and I'm not answering them. Like, what's going on? I come to find out later that my social media had also been hacked and pictures had been put up from an old camping trip. So it looked like I just, hey, it's my birthday. I'm going on a camping trip. And I disappeared. So that explained my absence to everyone. Um, So he's very, the, although it probably wasn't completely premeditated, the fact that it had been manipulated so much so that the outside world really just didn't know I was missing. Um, And I started to to become aware of that. You know, things had had calmed. Um, I know he hurt himself. Um, He hurt a shoulder in his arm, which is why he had switched to, you know, using a mammary rod. And I, I could tell that he was physically exhausted from this, as was I. And just trying to stay, like, aware of that and present to just know that, like, if he's close to breaking, like, that'll be my chance. And, um, but man, that, that voicemail, it just broke me. So I remember like essentially crying myself to sleep, you know, trying to hold back those tears and, um, just tears falling as I fell asleep. So then awaking to this, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, just this massive, just this crash, this like rage noise that just came at me and this massive energy came at me and he drags me you know, into into the other room. And again, not a peep can come out of me anytime I make a noise. And he shoves something in my mouth, um, like wadded up clothes or something in my mouth to keep me from screaming. And it ripped the, um, I don't know what it's called. I got to look it up. But the little piece of skin that holds the bottom of your tongue mm. to, the, to your mouth, to okay. like the bottom of your mouth, yeah. it just rips completely. And he's shoving something in my mouth and I just remember feeling like I'm going to choke and die on my tongue right now. Like it just kept like no ability to breathe, can't scream, can't do anything. Um, and again, beats the bottom of my feet. Um, he raped me again. And then I remember there was a knife in the room and he lost track of it. And I, I managed to roll over on top of it and I was like coveting it. I, I was just going to hang on to it till yeah. my moment and he's beating on the bottom of my feet and then he realizes that where's the knife and I had it I, I, I kind of went for it and I had it in the palm of my hand but I had the blade and he just ripped it straight out of my hand and thankfully that wasn't the worst of my injuries but that could have been pretty gnarly just like chopping off a few fingers um, and then he disappeared left the room and he came back couple minutes later um English is not his first language and I hear him coming back speaking this other language and I know enough of it to pick up some keywords but I can't really catch everything that's going on and then I hear a voice on the other end and it's his father and he comes back and he's got me on video chat and he shows his father in my body bleeding naked just bruised bloodied on the floor and I, um, I had a moment where I was like, okay, like his dad's going to call the cops. His dad's going to call his brother who lives in the United States 10 minutes away and his brother's going to call the police. I'm like, okay, like it's going to be over. And I had this like glimmer of hope and I was like, okay, he, whatever conversation he had with his father angered him more. He grabbed me by the hair, started ripping my hair out. Um, dragged me back down the hall into the other room and he I skipped an entire part where I was zip tied and put in a closet too but seems irrelevant at this point (laughs) Um, (laughs) he zip ties me zip ties my hands behind me and 
he's clearly preparing for something because he's just rushing in and out. Um, he brings headphones back into the room and brings something to blindfold me with. And, and when he leaves the room, I break the zip tie handcuffs with just everything I've got. That was a bad idea. He heard that and he came rushing back in with a, um, an electrical cord and ended up tying my hands, binding my hands behind me, wrapping the electrical cord around my waist and tying it to the leg of the bed. Um, just n no way to move, no way to, to get away. And for about, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half, he has headphones on me playing Van Morrison's Moondance on repeat. Used to like that song. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Um, and he's, I, 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 can, I can smell him. I know he's smoking in the room. Um, I keep having this fear that he's just going to come start, like, burning me with cigarettes. Thankfully, that never happened. But that just was this agonizing fear I had. I was blindfolded. Um, and I could just feel him moving around me, stepping over me, and just being around me. Um, I hear him again on the phone with someone. He's preparing. He's doing something. And I keep thinking, okay, his dad saw me. His dad's going to call his brother. His brother's going to call the cops. And I'm like, all right, by the time his dad does that, or maybe he's got to get a hold of him, maybe his dad's going to call a neighbor or a friend or somebody if, if the brother's not going to pick up the phone. And his dad doesn't speak English. So, you know, I'm like, okay, his dad's not going to call the cops from another country in. But, you know, I, I keep thinking, like, it's just it's going to happen. And, you know, when the Van Morrison's uh, moon dances, I think about a seven, if I remember from my radio DJ days, uh, it's like a seven or eight minute song. It's, it's a long it's song. Long. It's a really long song. So I used to volunteer for the fire department when I was uh, in high school. And I know, like, average response time. I'm not in San Diego, but I know how long it takes. So, like, by the th time the song plays through, like, the third time, starting to lose hope like yeah. starting to maybe this isn't I'm like no 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 they're coming they're coming they're definitely coming and like the fourth time the fifth time the sixth time no one's coming and he brings me my phone on he takes the blindfold off of me takes the headphones off of me brings me my phone and he sits me up at like sort of a 45 degree angle. Like I'm, I'm still bound and I'm tied. Like I can't really move much, but he's got me leaning just a bit forward. Yeah. And he starts a video on my phone and starts to tell me to say goodbye to everyone I know. And um, I start, <laughs> trust me, I was thinking of like my cousins, uncle, Larry's neighbors, next door neighbors, dogs. Like I'm trying to think of like, I'm dragging this out as long as I possibly can. Right. And he's provoking me. He wants me to say certain things to certain people. And um, my best friend at the time was a guy. And, and he, it, apparently there was this massive jealousy between this relationship, my, me and my, between me and my best friend. And, um, you know, he wants me to tell him how, like, he's this terrible person. And he just wants me to say all these things to him. And it's like... Part of it is, do I negotiate with him? Do I do what he's asking to prolong my life to, like, think through a plan? And then how much of it do I, you know, I'm also thinking about the person on the other end of the video. My parents are going to see this. My sister, my brothers, my best friend is going to see this. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about them. Like, I don't want my last words to these people to be what he wants them to be. Yeah. And I'm trying to, like, think of, like, cryptic ways to say things. And, I mean, I'm literally preparing, like, this is it. And this is what my family is going to see. And um, finally he gets to a point where, like, okay, that's long enough. Like, 15 minutes is, 15 minutes of goodbye is long enough. Like, he just got tired of holding the camera. And he goes and gets a knife. And he starts sharpening the knife right next to me. And um, he's taunting me with it. He's running the knife up and down my chest, like just surface cuts, just, you know. I don't even feel them. I don't, I know the knife has gone in, but I don't feel anything anymore. Wow. And I remember just laying there 
like my body just got cold and you know when you lay on like a memory foam mattress and at first you lay on it and then all of a sudden like when you really just kind of feel it just you sink in I remember feeling like the floor was swallowing me like that like I just no resistance in my body at all just sinking into the floor and I got cold and then I just got numb and he's got the knife to my throat and he's kind of running it back and forth sort of gently again there's a superficial cut there and and I, I know it's there and he at one point takes his fingers and you know wipes it on the blood and like makes me taste it he's like you taste that like this is it and he says I'll make it quick don't worry and I, this entire time, I had been working with my hands behind me, just trying to loosen one of my hands. And I'm left-handed. I draw for a living. Like, that's, you know, like my everything. And I remember feeling like the, the core just cinching down on my left hand and being like, oh, there goes that. Like, I've got no use of that hand. I would completely numb. I knew that I lost feeling in that. And um, I'm like, well... I survive at least I I have that you know I just I'll lose my livelihood and everything that brings me joy in life but um yeah it was kind of going through that and my hand was was getting loose but then I had this whole feeling of like just give up but I, and I was like enough time had passed I was like okay there's this 15 minute long video of me saying goodbye there's you know 10 iterations of of moon dance like no one's coming and it just sank in no one's coming to rescue me no one and in the just a split second, I mean like half of a moment in time, I felt the knife go into my throat and like managed to muster, like I look underneath the bed and there's a little cat toy, this little pink cat toy. And I was like, if I go out, what the hell is he gonna do to this cat? This freaking cat. And as soon as the knife goes into my throat, I managed to just finally free my right hand just enough. And I, we were sort of perched. It's very, it's difficult to describe like on radio or podcast, but like we were perched in such a a precarious position that he was leaning over me and I was at this sort of odd 45 degree angle. But pulling my hand free was just enough to like shift and I kind of shoulder checked him and it knocked him off balance and the knife shifted and he hit the ground kind of just like you know his ass hit the ground and then his face just like can't explain it other than like a Jekyll and Hyde moment I watched his eyes completely change his face relaxed he went ghost white and he was like oh shit I cut you so bad and he came over and he grabbed me was essentially like cradling me I guess is the best way to describe it he put his hand on my on my throat and just started rocking back and forth saying I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and in that moment I instincts this is where fight or flight took it took over and I literally said to him call 911 you asshole and like a little like child he did he ran and got a phone and and you know, um, like panicked to call 911 and like couldn't unlock the screen from like panic, which, you know, I'm bleeding to death yeah. here and like kind of freaking. That was another moment of like, great, I went through all this and now trying to get 911. And uh, finally, 911 picks up and then I watch his face change again. And he realizes that now I'm talking, you know, there's someone on the other line. And they're like, 911, what's your emergency? And he won't say anything. And he looks at me, and I had the wherewithal to at least say, you know, like 37-year-old female, spit out the address I was at, laceration to the throat, da-da-da-da. And I was just like, I need to get out as many details as I can about, like, what happened and where I am before I pass out. And I'm just feeling like I just watch everything start tunneling in again. And I'm kind of like, everything's cold. And uh, they asked me, how did this happen? Like, how did you get a, how do you have a, you know, how do you cut your throat? How do you have a laceration in your throat? And he almost like, he's got the phone and he goes to take it away. And I just stopped him and I was like, I just told 911, I was like, I did it. 
I did it to myself. And I just made up on the fly this long convoluted story about just trying to drag out the story. I know they've already dispatched. I'm just trying to drag it out just to keep him occupied. And I tell them that I did it to myself, that I was suicidal, all these things just to keep him at bay. Because he's still, I'm still at his mercy. The place is still completely barricaded. Uh, First two people to arrive on scene were police officers, I believe. One of the last things I remember, but I do remember them pounding on the door, trying to let him get in. There was a security guard that had uh, the key, and I heard like the you know, unlocking the door and trying trying to get in. And um, he left me just long enough to go, like, unbarricade the door. And before even actually unbarricading the door, he started cutting all my binds off, running and trying to throw them out the window and, you know, hiding evidence and all that stuff. And um, I started to, like, pass out. Officers came. Paramedics came in shortly after that. They threw a blanket over me real quick. Um, and kind of just triaged everything and they were like okay we're gonna put you on a stretcher now can you stand up and I'm like no I can't and they were like what why and they look you know lift up the blanket and they look and see that I'm just you know completely beaten and my feet are just a mangled mess and yeah yeah, that was that was it that was the day I survived almost murder (laughs) whoa not just a day it was four days of almost murder yeah so Yeah, and then um, then there comes the part where you have to, like, call your family. <laughs> uh, I got into the hospital and went through everything, police, stitches, yada, yada, yada. I get wheeled into a room, and I'm like, all right, who can I call? Like, it would break my dad. It would break my stepdad. I'm not really sure what it would do to my mom. My brothers would have been on a plane with, you know, guns in hand. So I called my sister. And I literally said to her, uh, hey, you know those Lifetime movies where, you know, someone gets, like, kidnapped and beaten and raped and almost murdered and narrowly escapes within an inch of their life? And she's like, yeah. I was like, so that just happened to me. And that's just (laughs) how, like, it was that moment when I was just like, okay, like, it's just over. Like, it's just done. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Wow. That was quite the foobar. Uh, it's foo with a capital F. Yeah. That is yeah. the foobar. Uh, I don't think we, we try to one-up each other on this show, um, but I was definitely on the edge of my seat because I've never heard um, <clears throat> a story of, of trauma or perseverance like that. Um, for our listeners, uh, because of what we deal with on this podcast – it's important to note that there's other people on the other end of the microphone that sometimes either have experienced this this or seen this, um, and they need to express it or relate it or process it so they can move on with their lives. So our our next installment on the Triple B Adventures podcast, what we're going to do is break into a little bit of that to help people that have survived this or situations like this, and then for their friends, because there's a lot of emotion involved and a lot of things that can be said or thought of or done that you think might be helpful, but might not be. Uh, and it's, it's for lack of ignorance. You only, you only know that you want to be of help and of service to the other person, but it's, it's important to know how after dealing with a, delic- a situation as delicate as that. As that. Um, I'm kind of like stuttering because that was, that was pretty intense for me hearing that. <laughs> Um, Spoiler alert, I survived. So. Yeah. <laughs> and just, just to end the FUBAR podcast before we take off, the kitten. The kitten. So her name is Munchkey. Munchkey. Um, yeah. Uh, and she is my best friend. She now lives with me. Um, doesn't leave my side. Sleeps in my crotch. It's a thing. It's weird. Um, Not in your crotch. Not but like I mean like. I know. I mean, under the blankets. Just the general vicinity. Just the general vicinity. <laughs> like, like she comes in at night, and she almost never leaves my side than uh, when I'm home. But she'll come in, and if I pull the blankets up, she comes over and kind of boops me in the face to like lift the blankets up. And she crawls crawl, in. Yeah. Yep, she crawls in, and then I just kind of like lift my knees up, and she crawls underneath my knees and gets comfortable. And then throughout the night, that's just where she's at. She's, 
She's like, she's a bad dog is what she is. <laughs> she's just like a really crappy dog. She loves car rides. She walks on a leash. She hops in the bathtub with me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we just, we went through some hell together and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for her. So um, yeah, at least I, I ended up with the cat in the end. And just one, not like 20 or... No, I do have another one. Um, she She's a rescue. My uh, next-door neighbor had passed away, and she was just a left behind. And so I was like, I guess, fine, you can live here, too. So Patron saint of lost cats. Yeah, but that's it. Just to no more than that. I might be crazy, and I may be a cat lady, but not on purpose. I, I think right. you keep cats that are equally crazy to be with you. I feel like you, you I feel be like a it's special kind of equal. cat to walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have the right energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's a pretty badass cat. So. Right on. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. I, I don't know how you were able to do that without busting a tear. Um, wow. I, I like. I do think that like. You know, part of processing things and like and maybe we'll kind of get this in the other podcast but one of the things is when you can when you can tell the story without crying it like it really means that like there's a level of acceptance like I don't want to say you get over it I don't know that you ever get over these things you know but I don't have to keep reliving it anymore Mm -hmm. like I can't unlive it but I can't I don't have to keep reliving it so yeah being able to tell the story and like yeah be in a space of like other people who've lived through some hell like I hear you know stories of I mean you guys they tell these stories and I'm like that's in, like they give me chills like you guys walked in you choose that you walk into that you know we're, like we're that's not right in the head yeah clearly <laughs> I just did a degree off <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh I I have a, a lot of respect and admiration for you guys you guys put yourself out there um on the front lines like asking for this like bring it on world and I mean, I didn't ask for this, so. Well, back at you, though, for your resiliency. Uh, Yeah. Just grit. Like, I'll say that. That's grit. (laughs) True grit. Yeah. Wow. Here's here's to Munchki. Yay, Munchki. To Munchki. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. We will. Got it. Got it.
Scott Button.